anything I bring from the reading English component, teaching component into baseball, try to make it mirror what I would do in the classroom where, you know, if I'm going to give a kid feedback or if I'm going to give the group feedback, I need it to be something that's going to actually stick, which is, you know, a big part, and then also make them better. Uh, and we can address this tomorrow. And so what we've done is we've changed it. We now roundtable at the start of each day. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. It's been a little while. Uh, we got rolling with our baseball season, and it became clear pretty quickly that I was going to have to remove one thing from my plate. Um, the choice was between our baseball team, no, my family, uh-uh, and this podcast. So no offense, but the decision was really easy. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the weekly newsletter while you waited for this moment. That said, man, I am so happy, ecstatic, excited, whatever word you want to use, to be here with episode number 66. As always, thank you for clicking that play button. And a huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring the High School Coaches Club. If you need any facility improvements, make Netting Pros your first, and they'll be your only, honestly, call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, ball carts, windscreen, you name it. They're going to do it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after it in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They're truly making facilities better all across America, providing high-quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout this country. Not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros. They're improving programs one facility at a time. Today, I am joined by the Joe Ferraro. He's the host of the 1% Better podcast and the creator of Damn Good Conversations. I've had a bunch of people, most notably Sandro Prosperino, who you'll recall from episode five, he works at Valhalla High School with Joe, reach out to offer up an idea that has now come to fruition with this very episode. Bring Joe Ferraro on the High School Coaches Club podcast and have him interview me. Joe has been a phenomenal mentor to me in getting this club up and running. We've bonded over his connection to Oregon from his American Legion World Series days, and you'll kind of get some of that here during this conversation. And I'll go ahead and make it official right here and call him a friend. I had an absolute blast with him, and I hope you enjoy it half as much as I enjoyed talking with him. Uh, we sat down for this talk about two-thirds of the way through uh, our high school baseball season, which ended somewhat recently, if you're listening to this live. Uh, it was a year in which we struggled quite a bit. We finished 6-18, uh, and 18, um, young team. We're bringing back all our pitching, so it's exciting. But uh, we, we really experienced a huge culture reset, and it was exciting to get to talk kind of through that with Joe. Uh, and it helped put us in a position that feels really good, really strong, and really exciting as we're looking forward into the spring of 2023 and beyond. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 66 with the Joe Ferraro. Max, I don't know what side of the mic is which here, man. I, it's a pleasure to connect with you. The, the only club that ever let me join, the High School Coaches Club. Max Price is my guest today. Welcome to the show. <laughs> it's a little weird for me, but I'm <laughs> glad you could do this. 
we uh, we had a chance to hide our backgrounds, but I'm looking at jerseys and baseball and pennants mm. in your background, and you're looking at books and family, you know, tchotchkes and whatnot. I happen to know you're an English teacher. You know I'm an English teacher. Those intersecting worlds are are fascinating. So you find yourself 33 this month. I find myself 44. What's your perspective on like the the intersection between uh, who you are today as a baseball coach, stepping into multiple roles as a as an English teacher, and kind of trying to let those two show up where they might? It's funny. Um, uh, usually, when you're talking to baseball coaches or a lot of coaches, they tend to associate more of the social studies side. Um, we have a few in our building to the math side. I think I'm the only on the English side who, who coaches at all. And so it's a little bit, it's always funny because there's, there seems to not be a whole lot of English teachers who coach. Uh, and I'm not sure why that is, if that's the, I don't know, reading a lot of essays or just <laughs> who knows what, what it's like. But, um, for me, I find that to be a pretty cool experience because I'm, I'm able to connect with a lot of kids who, um, in their English classes don't generally have somebody who's, who's been a coach or been in that environment. Um, also tends to be kind of a, often a female oriented area, at least English does in, in my area and the different buildings I've been in. So uh, it's been pretty cool to be able to, uh, to coach baseball and, and teach English and use a lot of books and th- you know, we spend a lot of time reading in our classes, obviously. And so I'm able to use a lot of books and experiences that I, I read to then use with my players. And then also on the flip side of that, books that I've read, you know, on my own to help coach oftentimes end up helping me in the classroom, whether I'm pulling excerpts from them or if I'm just using those lessons with kids or stuff like that. So I find I find teaching English and coaching baseball to intersect a lot more than a lot of people might think they do. How do they show up in the postgame speech? Uh, you know, the postgame speech has changed a lot, which we could get into if we want to. But, um, you know, a lot of it ends up being um, uh, trying to be a lot better about choosing what I say when I say it and understanding what lessons going to be learned from it. So I think a lot of times, you know, after a loss, you'd have, you know, your meeting and you just talk forever. And, you know, you know, what are we actually getting from this? We know things didn't go well. And so I've tried to really make... Um, anything I bring from the reading English component, teaching component into baseball, try to make it mirror what I would do in the classroom where, you know, if I'm going to give a kid feedback or if I'm going to give the group feedback, I need it to be something that's going to actually stick, which is, you know, a big part and then also make them better. Uh, And so I think a lot of the things that I bring to our team are much shorter snippets than I think they would have been if you had, come to a, a post-game or pre-game meeting, you know, five years ago or something like that. Yeah. And in, in your sixth year as head coach at, at South Salem, I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea that you say openly that the, the post-game speech has changed a great deal. I mean, that that's a very short lifespan in the, in the, in the lifespan of a mm-hmm. coach. And yet you seem relentlessly willing to adapt and mold and, and f- fix and, and tweak. Um, I don't think that's an accident. I mean, six years in and you said it's changed a lot. What's your perspective in in change and growth? Yeah, it is funny. So, you, you, you know, you talk to a lot of older coaches and they all say the same thing. And it's always basically, you know, it, it, something to the tune of like, hey, if I could go back and talk to my younger self, I, you know, I'd, I'd slap him or hit him and just be like, dude, you're, this is not what it's what it's all about. Um, and so, you know, obviously 
through experiences with the high school coaches club and just having really great mentors anyway. Um, I think I got those lessons a lot earlier than some people get them. And so maybe that, that change happened a little bit quicker for me. Um, but yeah, when you, you know, when you look back, I know, again, when you look back at year one of the six years of a head coach, but um, it's true. Like, you know, when you first, when I first started, it was a lot of that traditional focus on winning and, and we're trying to win games. And when we lose a game, that's, oh boy, the, the world has ended sort of a situation like, oh my gosh. Um, and now, you know, flash forward five years, we've, we've won a ton of games. We've had a, a huge amount of success, but um, it really is true. Like the less, it's so bizarre, the less you focus on winning somehow, the more you end up ultimately winning and you can define winning however you want, but uh, it, it's just a really bizarre deal. And so, yeah, when I go back to the coach I was maybe four or five years ago, um, I think he's a lot different um, than the guy that is, is sitting in front of players today. I, I found that to be true myself, that, that you know, over cliched example of trusting the process and whatnot mm -hmm. has a lot of truth to it. Now, I have to imagine, though, um, something we share in common. We found a lot of crossover. Me at Ferraro on air and Twitter, you at Mr. Max Price. There's been a lot of really pleasant interactions, and I keep finding these commonalities. And I told a student the other day, I'm not about waiting till next year to fix something. Like, if we can fix it this week, let's fix it, right? So that's that's something I see in you immediately. But I wonder if there was a crystallizing moment, that that prototypical, like, I got to change something or a reflection piece. What What's a moment that you said... Um, yesterday or last year I was doing things this way and this year I'm doing them this way? Um, you know, I think it'd probably be, probably be year two. So my, my first year was 2017 as the head coach here. We went 14 and 11. Uh, we were 14 and 10 going to the playoffs. We think we were ranked like 11th in the state. So we got a home playoff game in round one. And we we hosted Roseburg from uh, down south, and you you're you know you're well aware of Roseburg and your time in Legion Ball. They host the host the Legion World Series for a long time and and, and whatnot. So I have a lot of memories playing down there too. They actually just turf their entire stadium too. But that's another oh, story. So if I bring Dad, it'll it'll be a different look to it. But yeah, a little bit different. Um, but anyway, so uh, you know Roseburg came up here, and it was a hot day, um, way warmer than anything we normally get, and. Uh, Remember, it was so hot that our iPad that we run the you know game changer stats thing. The iPad stopped working. And it was hot. It was like eighty three. But for us, like in May, that's that's crazy. Um, you know, we the game starts top of the first inning. Roseburg gets a runner on, and then they bunt. And our our pitcher, who's now the closer at Oregon State University, they rank like second in the nation. Uh, he grabs the button, just throws it into you know <laughs> into right field. And then anyway, next thing you know, we look up and the game's over. We get 10 runs at home, lose 10 nothing in five innings. And our guys are just devastated. And it's just more devastation than you would imagine. Like it, it didn't see it seemed it seemed like too much. Like we had we had made winning this year, like we're gonna win the state championship. And we had made that such a huge focus of everything we were doing that I think we lost sight of what like the good things that actually come. And the process of it, right? And so again, we talk about the process. But um, so for me, we lost that game ten nothing in year one. I mean, it was just a boat race; like we just got destroyed. And um, like I said, our guys were just devastated. Like after the game, just crying, and not not seniors. Like you expect that out of a senior because that's the last game, a lot of emotion. 
Um, but everybody was. And, it, you know, normally we, we've lost the next two years. We lost in the state semifinals and you get the senior tears. But other than that, the rest of the guys, you're sad for a minute, but you're, it turns quickly to that emotion of like happiness for your seniors. You're hugging on them. But that first year, it wasn't like that. It was just a complete devastation of like, oh, my God, like we didn't reach our goal. And for me, then, you know, I spent the summer in the off season, like trying to trying to change the way we did things and changed our focus and kind of got to that idea of like process over outcome of being so uber focused on the process. And it's so cliche. I know I remember the 76ers being really um, famous for it. Cause you, well, at some point you, the process has to work. Right. Um, and theirs is finally working too. And so same thing, like we, it's just, you, we just a huge change in how we operate it from a day to day basis and changing what our goals are. The goal is no longer like when at the end, the goal is, and it's so hard with anybody, but especially with high schoolers, the goal is win this moment. And when that moment's over, now we have to win this moment. And it's that next pitch. It's all cliches, but it's something that um, was really important that I think we got to. So I'm going to zoom forward and then come right back to that moment. So I saw on Twitter the other day, uh, there were a number of players drinking from a spigot that was about three inches <laughs> from the ground. I had ni- I had nightmares trying to discern the water quality taste and like was a blade of grass getting in the way. Like I just, it was just like backyard stuff. So you can comment on what was going on there, but it was clearly uh, an enjoyment of the moment. But if we zoom back, uh, when you say we change the way we do things, what I want to really make valuable and crystallize for, for coaches, it's easy to say, incredibly hard to do, but what I'm even more interested in is what does it look like? Does it, is it a change in language? Is it a change in practice habits is it see all the above give us some color on what actually changed yeah so you know the first step is changing the coaching language right so we had to change the way we talked and we had to change the way we perceived success and perceived winning um so we had to be really focused on simple things like okay off-season workouts are starting let's say we're hitting the cages for the first time or whatever um the traditional coaching is guy swings and misses or guy fouls a ball off. Let me step in and coach this guy up and fix him right now. And uh, we talked a lot about taking, taking a step back from that. And instead of stepping in with like, Hey, let's fix this. Let's fix this. We wanted to go about it much more from a mental approach. So it became, um, Hey, take a step out, take a breath, get back in. Um, so a lot more focus on trying to, use our verbiage as coaches to get our players to understand that the, you know, the immediate, when something goes wrong, instead of dissecting it and going crazy, take a breath. Okay. Back in, here we go. And just trying to get them to be present in the moment that they're in. Um, So that's kind of the first step was getting us coaches on the same page, understanding how we wanted to approach players. And then through that process, getting players to start to buy into that, that success, um, um, and understanding that creating focal points for yourself, creating um, breath sequences for yourself, whatever it might be for you that works, like finding a way to take a step back in theory and refocus and reconnect to this moment that you're about to be in now. Because in baseball and all sports, but especially in baseball, because that's where my, my world is, when something goes wrong, uh, you make an error, uh, you throw you know five balls in a row. 
um, like that starts to unravel really, really quickly <laughs> and you can spiral out of control really fast. So if we can focus you on the, that mental side of things, that process side of things, I think things will unravel much slower. Maybe you'll even stop the unraveling and start re-raveling. I don't know if that's even a thing, right? Um, the spigot thing though, that, so we, we, so we play in a really unique place where, um, I think it works a lot to our advantage We're we get to be a very blue collar program. Um, we are off campus. Um, so our baseball field and you know, varsity and JV baseball field are off campus. We're about four blocks away. Um, our bathrooms are the same bathrooms that they built in 1954, um, to where they have like open air tops to them with like just grates on them. So air just runs freely through them. Um, nobody wants to use them. Um, there's no drinking fountain. There's, it's just a really like, one of those things where when we win, it feels really good because it's like we beat you and you have this beautiful hitting facility. You're on campus. You've got locker rooms and we won anyway. Right. So it creates this really nice thing. Um, but yeah, when I got here, they all they all drink from a spigot. There's just a spigot and they drink from it. And our, <laughs> our, uh, one time one of the district irrigation guys was there when they did it. And he goes, I don't know if you want to be drinking from that. <laughs> and I was like, no, I like I know. But it's just, it's one of the things that they do and that's where they get their water from and it's become part of the program and everybody Listen, lives. True leader, you got to do with the players, right? I mean, when's yeah. the last time When's the last time you drank from the spigot? Uh, I, that, yeah, two days ago. All right, okay. It. We went, it went missing for about three weeks and we couldn't find it. So it was a pretty rough time in our program. That sounds like a lot of that sounds like a lot of rain and the, and the grass yeah. came up over it. That's uh, yeah. welcome. Welcome to yeah. Oregon. Yeah. Um, yeah, we there's all a, drink from it. There's a couple things there. Um, what's the one or two resources, people or otherwise, that you leaned on in that fulcrum moment? Uh, number one is Jager Sports. Um, so the guys who make J bands, um, they have. It's kind of funny. Um, so I had his um, CEO, who's a who used J bands forever. Um, his name's China McCarney. I've had him on the show twice, um, but. Um, they oddly enough, he told me the story that when Alan Jager made J bands, it was literally because he needed a way to pay for his business to succeed on the mental side of things. Cause he was trying to do mental training in baseball in the nineties. And that was really early to the scene and you weren't, nobody was paying you for that. So he's like, he had to come up with something to get people to give him money so he could keep doing this. Um, so they, they have like, insane amounts of uh, resources on their like websites and stuff um, that we use with players. Um, and then there's a, a book by Harvey Dorfman called the mental game of baseball. Uh, it's probably 30 years old. I mean, it was, it's been around a long time. Um, but I had a, I had a training that summer in Denver. So I had to, for um, school. And so uh, the flight there and back, I just I had this book that had been on my shelf forever. I hadn't read it yet. So I grabbed the mental game of baseball and I just, I mean, I just it was like a child highlighting way too much. It doesn't even know how to highlight. Like I'm just highlighting everything and bookmarking, earmarking everything. Um, and so those two for me, like those were my go-tos of, of how to try to fix this thing and change this thing into a process oriented place. So now you have these resources literally and figuratively, and you have to bring it to the aforementioned coaches, one or other, that you're going to have to get on board. You, you talk about player buy-in, but you got to get coach buy-in because you you started with changing the language of coaches. Uh, there had to be a moment there that we can learn from 
where it was maybe a difficult conversation. I mean, you might be talking to a coach of different ages, younger or older than you. And uh, that brings up interesting dynamics. People listening are like, all right, Coach Price has an idea and he's quote unquote in charge, but that doesn't mean you're going to get buy-in from Larry. So what, what what's something you recall from those conversations? Yeah, no, it's funny. So I was, what was I, uh, 60 years ago. Math is hard, man. I was 27, I guess. Uh, you know, so most of all the people on our coaching staff are older than me at that point. Right. And so it's coaching's funny in that point. Cause you can become a head coach when you're like 22 or 23 and like, just by math, like the guys with you are going to be older than you. And so it's kind of, it's a, it's a bizarre concept of, you know, trying to get out of that age thing of convincing people older than you that you know what you're doing. Um, you know, we had a, we had a really good coaching staff guys who'd been here for a long time who, when I came in uh, from outside the program, my first question to the AB was like, hey, were any of them trying to become the head coach? And he was like, no, none of them wanted to be the head coach. They just like being assistants. So I'm like, okay, that's a good, like, I didn't have to deal with that awkwardness of, of anything like that. So I knew they were all on board anyway. Um, they knew that if we wanted to stay in this thing for a long time, we needed to become kind of the premier program in the area, or at least try to be. Um, so they understood like the background of it. They understood where we were and that changes need to be made moving forward. Um, and so that wasn't too bad, but it's a hard conversation to go in and say like, Hey, it's not that anything we've done before was wrong. It's just, man, there's this stuff here that, that helps major leaguers. It helps college teams. Uh, and I really think it can help us and put us in a, an advantage ahead of not only other programs, but also just to literally help our players and like, so we tried to rephrase it in terms of this isn't to help us win games, but it will. Um, this is to help us help these kids develop skills that's going to make them successful in life and try to reframe that as our, our goal and our success story and what winning means to our program. Um, and so it wasn't too difficult in that regards. I think things to be aware of is always number one as a coach, you need to always use the word we. Um, I, that for me was the main thing. I think I don't know if that if that's why everybody bought in, but for me, I think it's really important. Anytime you're discussing players, coaches, anything like that, it's a we issue that we are solving and asking them questions of ideas that might help along the way. Have you seen any resources that might help with this? Have you seen anything that would that might might be able to bring in? But um, the we component of it was really big as well. Um, but I was really lucky. We had guys who understood where we were and where we wanted to be and understood that redefining success is, is, is an important part of <laughs> making a change in this program that was needed. I wonder about your personality, someone who's a lifelong learner, open to change very rapidly, putting yourself in a position week after week to learn from these coaches. Have you ever paused and said, I don't want to adopt what this coach is saying, even though it sounds amazing? It can be dangerous. It's like, this guy's got this philosophy that's 180 degrees different than me, and I'm going to do it tomorrow. I wonder if that lifelong learner piece has ever given you pause. Uh, it's a problem. It's an addiction. <laughs> um, one of the hardest things that I've found doing this is you you learn so many amazing things, not just from like baseball coaches, but I've learned like from football coaches, you don't think it, um, from some track coaches, like some sprint work stuff. Um but especially baseball coaches, um, because you hear like at a guy named Ryan Ratterman, he was going on about how many bases they steal. And I love stealing bases. And he's going over and we have our whole system and it works perfectly for us. 
And he was going over his system like, oh, man, like this might be the, the system for us. And stuff like that happens all the time. And it is really, really addicting to change and to adopt new things. And I think one of the hardest parts about being on that side of the microphone and of the learning process is <laughs> being able to be like, hey, man, that's an amazing idea for your program. And it might work for mine, but I think what we have right now is great and we're going to keep that. Um, and just kind of, you know, maybe keeping it on your shelf and maybe six years from now you're looking at things and I'm going, man, we just, our base running system, this doesn't work. Like we're actually not stealing bases. Maybe all the other teams have caught up to us. Maybe now I go back and re-listen to my episode with Ryan and maybe now I steal his stuff and maybe I call him and whatnot. But, um, yeah, the addiction to change can be a huge problem because you want to grab everything and you can't, it, it doesn't work for you and your program and your coaching staff. And that's been a hard part, uh, probably the hardest part. We'll have to talk off air. There must be a name for that phenomenon, right? I know it has to do yeah. with quick, you know, adaptation. I think an example that could work to illustrate that for people and maybe be used on both sides is the coach I listened to on your show recently who said he doesn't take IO. He doesn't. And I, th I think you don't know anymore. He says he doesn't come out for the national anthem. He says uh, he he lets the players do the post game pregame. Like there was three other examples on that episode, which I think is must much must listen to. I think it was the Kincaid School episode, if I'm not mistaken. And and like I just didn't agree with a lot of it, and then I loved it simultaneously. So it just must be a fun thing. In some ways, when I hear something that extreme, it's safer for me. I'm like, oh my god, I'm not. I love that. I'm not doing that, but I love that. Yeah, that's true. And there's a lot of there's a lot of things like that where you listen to them and like I feel that same way where I'm like, man, that's a really cool idea. And in my head, like I'm going, ah, but I'm never going to do that. Like, it's just not it's not what we're going to do. Um, uh, I the, the idea of not talking ever like you know, I, I can't do that. That's not who I am. That's not going to work for me. But in my head, like picturing it, that's amazing. But no, it's not going to happen here. Um, happens all the time. Yeah. If someone, if, if someone asked you about your talking, like I, I talk a lot, I'm aware of it and I try to dial it down. You seem like you do have a, a, a skill for brevity. Where, where are you on the spectrum for, for uh, communication and, and uh, just big, word big per minute? Change, yeah. Big change from year one to now is I talk way less than ever before. Um, in, in year one. Um, so I, I stole this from my high school head coach, uh, Chris Lee, um, who's, you know, mentor number one for me. Um, and we always did something that he, he called round table and, um, you know, comes from the old, you know, King Arthur's court and everything. And the idea is at the end of every practice, at the end of every game, at the end of every workout we ever had for my whole four years of high school, we got in a circle and started to the coaches left and everybody got a chance to talk. You couldn't skip two people in a row like you could you could skip two in a row. But then the third guy's got to say something and you get all the way back around and the coach talks or the coaches and then the head coach. And as a player, I loved it because it gave me an opportunity to like speak to everybody of like, whether it was something really congratulatory or if it was something where, especially as a senior high school player, like I had my expectations, I want to win. And you, the sophomore on our team, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. So it gave me an opportunity to learn how to have that discussion in front of people and how to address people and, and so I loved it. So when I came over here um, as the, the head coach at South Salem High School from North Salem, that's one thing I immediately brought. We're going to round table every time. And we did it just like that for the last five years. 
And then um, at the end of last year, we kind of as a coaching staff sat down and talked through it and kind of decided to change it a little bit. Um, but anyway, so over the course of the last six years, the amount I have talked has shrunk down considerably to where I try to be very brief and very concise and get guys home, um, when we're done and get them released to go be kids. And because I just think at the end of a practice, at the end of a game, we're all, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> They're ready to go home. Let's go. Uh, and we can address this tomorrow. And so what we've done is we've changed it. We now round table at the start of each day. Um, and we talk more about what you as an individual, you're going to focus on today, or you can bring something from yesterday. And we've had, you know, 12 to 24 hours to think it over and reflect on it. Um, and that's helped change a lot. So now I'm not breaking down the game like, oh, man, with, you know, the third inning, we should have done this and that. And then the fourth inning, we did this. And then fifth inning, you guys are amazing. It was great. Uh, and so it's really helped me as well, like really slow down and have time to reflect and be like, OK, what's the one to two things I want to bring to practice today to set the tone for how we're actually going to make a change and be focused on the process, which is the thing we always talk about. Now, sometimes in conversations like this, it gets to the point where you think, and this has happened in my late coaching career. Well, all this great leadership talk, all this great culture talk, the team must not be very good. And and I, our, we weren't. <laughs> we weren't. Be- beautiful kids. Incredible. In fact, the team is flourishing in my absence. I want to be fully hey. disclosure. They're 15 and two uh, at the time of, of air after three years without me. But anyway, not important. Um, your team, I'm not going to hold you to these numbers, but just give me your best guess on the home runs you guys have hit this year, and and I didn't, I wasn't going to ask you about stolen bases, but now you tell me you guys run as well. So, stolen bases and home runs at the point of this recording, Max. What do you got? Uh, at the point of this recording, we're probably around fifty-one to fifty-two stolen bases, depending on how you score one yesterday. Um, and home run wise, we're probably down from a normal year, but I want to say four, seven, eight, nine, probably at thirteen home runs right now on the season. <laughs> <laughs> wow so you guys you guys are swinging it and and i don't think yeah. all the players on your team have meat hooks like i'm seeing holding that microphone over there like you the p- pride of pacific <laughs> yeah go boxers <laughs> no they're not it's um and it's been really cool to watch too because we we're a really young team this year and we have um three freshmen on our varsity team which that is not a thing we do here it's this is a 2200 student school um there's maybe one freshman on varsity a year if he's really good. Um, we have three because we think they're that good. And it took them a while. Uh, and it was a weird deal as a coach because you're like, ah, you know, have we made the right choice? Are we stunning this kid's growth by having him play varsity? Like if he was on freshman ball, he'd probably have like 12 home runs right now. He'd be crushing it. Like it was hard to find that line of like convincing yourselves like, yes, we're doing the right thing by having him here. Um, but it, it's been really cool over the last couple of weeks because those freshman kids have finally adjusted to the speed and the uh, ability of the you know, pitchers to change speeds and locations and you know coaches to decide, change game plans throughout the game. And they've been crashing out too. And so it's been really fun to see them starting to hit home runs and feel like they're part of the group and, uh, it's just it's it's been really cool to watch part of my research involved reaching out to some of your staff and, and they just would not give any dirt so the loyalty uh you know well they did one they did one but i won't reveal it and, and, and in fact i'll ask it in a different way so 
Okay. I want to dig into a little bit of your philosophy without you alienating some of your listeners. So let, let's let's give a, let's intersect two worlds: your analytical mind, your love of beautiful words, and your baseball philosophy. So once upon a time in the aforementioned Roseburg, Oregon, I knew about a team that won a national championship, and um, in addition to a lot of other things, what they did is they bunted every time mm-hmm. there was a man on first and second, no outs, the entire season, one through nine unless you were up 10 or down 10. So not only did they bunt, they showed early and they practiced it daily. And there was basically a triple option effect to it, which was you could steal third, you could double steal, you could slash, you could bunt, you could do all these different things. And that team did that all the way up to the Roseburg World Series, all the way against the likes of Ben Sheets and all those things in between. What is your best guess as what was going on there? Like, it's a complicated question, but I know you know where I'm going, which is like, did that team win in spite of this ill-advised bunting philosophy? Did they waste runs? Did they make it harder to win? Did that team win because there was something more at play there? Was it just the Jimmys and Joes? I'm going to give that messy question to you and, and let you just uh, untangle it in any way you see fit. Okay, so they probably won because of it. Um, yeah. So here's the thing, and this is just me. So I've had plenty of coaches. I came from a coach who loved bunting, like a whatever, bunt, bunt to your fancy. So this is this is just me, okay? Um, they probably won because they bunted, and and that's the whole thing. You can win by bunting. A um, uh, little bit harder in Legion ball because you're probably not expecting the opposing teams to throw the ball away because the, the baseball is a little bit higher level at that point. But, um, you know, you bunt, you get a, you get a hit and then you score a run sort of a deal. So that works out. Um, so in high school baseball, if I want to win a game, if I bunt, I've probably got a good chance of winning it because a high school kid's got to field that bunt. High school kid's got to throw that ball. High school kid's got to catch that ball. And, you know, over the course of the season, if I do that, um, Maybe we'd even win more games if I did that. I don't think we would, but maybe I'd win. We'd win a lot of games by doing that. Um, for me, everything kind of changed <laughs> with my philosophy when I started talking on Twitter. Ironically, um, with a guy named Ryan Starwalt, who was only thirty minutes down the road from me. He's down south. He was at Crescent Valley High School for a long time. Um, ended up becoming a turf installer and quit coaching because he's so successful now just (laughs) making indoor batting facilities and stuff for his family and what it's crazy but um anyway so he's just this amazing coach at crescent valley and his team's just crushed and every guy in their lineup just like would smack home runs and doubles and 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 they drag bunt you'd you'd hit a they hit like three run triple off you then they'd hit a, a line drive single off you. Then they double off you. And then you're reeling. And then they'd lay down a drag bunt. And then they'd move runners up. And then they'd hit a three. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, like this team is nuts. And, you know, I got talking to him on Twitter for a while. And just over the course of time, we developed a relationship. And we text all the time. And he helped me understand it's not about hitting home runs. It's not about hitting doubles. It's about what's the goal for your players. Right. And so it all came back around to this of like understanding it's not that I'm anti bunt. It's not that I don't think bunting helps you win. In fact, I think in high school baseball, it does help you win. I think what it is, is um, it poses best in a question, which is basically has a college scout ever come to your high school baseball game and asked you as a high school coach, hey, you know, I saw Johnny, saw him hit a couple home runs, saw him double, saw him strike out nine guys. 
but man, you know, I, I didn't see you lay down a bunt with him. And I, I, you know, I just, I don't know if he's the right guy for us. And so that question for me, like, oh, like I get it now. Like, okay. So the philosophy is not necessarily, I hate bunting because bunting is boring and it sucks, which it is. And it does. It's, I hate bunting because my job here is to essentially give all my guys the best chance at success at the next level. And basically, if I go to the University of Oregon, if I go to Oregon State University, if I go to Linfield College, if I go to Pacific University, and they want to bunt, they're going to teach my guy how to bunt. They're going to do that if that's what they like to do. Um, but they're never going to come to our games and recruit one of our players because he can bunt. It's never, ever, ever going to happen. They're going to recruit our guys because they can hit doubles. Every once in a while, those balls go out of the, out of the field. They crush line drives all over the place. They play good defense. Like Those are the guys they're going to recruit. And then if it's a program that likes bunting, they're going to teach them how to bunt their way because everybody has their own way of teaching it. So it's not that I'm anti-bunt because I don't think bunting works. It's because I think for my players, for the guys who play for me, if I'm going to give them the best chance, if they so choose to go play college baseball, they're going to get there and have the best chance of getting there and be successful there by spending their high school career focusing all their hitting time and energy on hitting baseballs and not spending that energy and time bunting or doing bunt defenses for you know 40 minutes or things like that. So that's the philosophy. So the answer is yes, bunting probably helped that team win and it can help you win and it helped the team beat that beat us yesterday one to nothing win. Um, but I think long term, if our goal is to help kids succeed and play high school baseball and to have the chance to succeed and play in college baseball. Um, bunting isn't, isn't part of the equation for us. I appreciate that. I, I don't want to turn a, a serious question into a farce, but one, one more quick answer on this one. What would you say to the coach who's saying you can see that a teammate is um, unselfish and uh, his willingness to, to literally sacrifice for the team can sometimes be best shown in a sacrifice bunt? I think I'd rather him hit a line drive and be the hero that way um, than I would have him uh, have to sacrifice bunt um, or have him draw a walk and then steal second base and we'll have the guy who's on first, you know, steal second and third and we'll just keep going that way. <laughs> I, think, I think there are other ways we can figure that out without anyone having to sacrifice themselves for our team. <laughs> my, my guest today is new school Max Price. <laughs> Let's do what you want with that information. I want to yeah. ping around in the last section of our, of our conversation. If I were to go to a, uh, if I was honored enough to be invited to a practice or a game, what's a phrase or words that, that I would hear over and over you saying? Oh, gosh. Um, I celebrate a lot. I, I talked to our players about this the other day um, when we were going through our, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago. We had a rough start to the season and uh, we were really struggling hitting. And so I literally in our pregame or pre-practice roundtable told them like, hey, guys, I've made a crucial mistake. I have been celebrating home runs way too much in practice and in games because anytime someone hits one out, it's just like it's party time and I celebrate that. And we started getting two home run happy and it was showing in game swings and stuff like that. Um, so you're just going to, I think, <laughs> I think what you'll see is a lot of celebration, um, a lot of excitement. I try to bring energy to, to what we do um, in terms of actual like terms you'll hear. Um, I don't know. God, the guys are crazy. They say a lot of things that I don't know if they're all that appropriate or not, but um, one of the things we do now, just joking with one of our players that, you know, every, every team kind of takes on its own culture, but, one of the things that has happened a lot lately, we had a, a kid who told us the other day that he started getting really annoyed because everybody kept saying like big blank guy, like, 
oh, you're a big Gatorade guy or, oh, you're a big bunt guy or, you know, or whatever it might be. And so now once a player says that, like it's open season. So now for the last two weeks, that's pretty much all you're hearing now in the dugout in practices and games is, oh, big, big line drive guy, oh, big error guy or whatever it might be in practices and things like that. Um, so you hear a lot of that. Um, in terms of like serious stuff, ownership, process, breathe, um, I think those three things you're going to hear and get really exhausted by um, to the point where I talked about this with some other coaches. Once they start rolling their eyes, when you say it, like, you know, you've got it, like it's stuck. Like they're like, OK, yeah, got it. Big sunflower seed guy. Love sunflower seeds. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's evolved over time, though. Um, uh, early on, it was whatever. And then as a as a seasoned veteran adult, now it's turned to only one variety and only one type. It spits. And it's dill pickle, and that's about it. That's very exotic. Yeah, I, uh, it I have is. jalapeno in the car right now for the nice. next soccer game. Uh, but yes, I think we could talk off air about about that. You don't have to give me an, an interview style answer here. We've both been on that side of the the table. But but how would you describe your coaching style or philosophy? Player oriented. Um, I, I think my job here is to help players become better people. Um, and I think I think that means that I'm, we're not going to yell at them. I'm not going to be overly critical of them. Um, I they're it's 2022, and they've got a million things they can go do and, and have fun with. So their experience with me and with our program needs to be fun, needs to be happy, uh, needs to be something that gives them good feelings. Um, doesn't mean we don't coach them hard, but we love on them. We hug them all the time. We tell them we love them. Um, so I think just you know in terms of a coaching style if people were talking about me it'd be that sort of a thing just someone who loves his players somebody who wants what's best for them wants them to be successful here and in the future and isn't going to sacrifice their current um, abilities for any future stuff um, I, I want them to to enjoy their time here and and to have good happy memories coming back to us as alumni Several episodes ago on my podcast, uh, I talked about this idea of the reverse mentor. I mean, by definition, you're a reverse mentor of mine, which is someone who is younger than me that I'm learning a great deal from. I have one across the hall, first or second year teacher. She asked a question that I want to pose to you that I thought was just brilliantly reflective. She asked me as a teacher, um, I see you reaching so many students, but is there a type of student? Is there a, a behavior profile or a a personality profile that you struggle to reach, Joe, she asked me. And I thought about it and I've been thinking about it a lot. What, what's the player personality bucket that that maybe you haven't quite mastered the communication connection with? I struggle to reach the kid who is quiet um, and who um, maybe hasn't quite learned how to relax and have fun. Um, it, we, you get a few kids like that every year where they come to the program and who knows why, but they, they're, they feel very tightly wound and it's hard to even like joke or have fun with them. Like when they're successful, like even in the cages in the off season, if they are on the rep soda and they hit a ball, like, you know, 340 feet and you're like, Oh yeah, that was awesome. And they're just kind of like, yeah. Um, for me, for my personality, I'm very outgoing and I like to have fun. And so, um, those kids for me have been the, as a coach, the difficult ones to reach because it's so much of my relational like skills, I guess, are, are with people who are 
similar to me that they can have fun, they can joke around, they can enjoy themselves. And so um, for me, that's the kid who is a little bit harder for me to reach because they just, they're just so different from me. And uh, it's, it's hard to get someone who's really, really serious to like, Hey man, it, you can be really serious and also have a ton of fun. Like those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Um, and so I think that kid, that kid's probably my kid for, for who's kind of tough to get through for me. I wonder if that would show up in like the IB classes or AP or anything like that. I'd be interesting for to see you in that dynamic. Yeah. I wonder, I, you know, I, with, with teaching, I, it's funny teaching. I, I people ask me a lot of times, like, do you want to do like, cause we have IB at our school. Do you want to do IB classes? And for me, like, I love teaching freshman English. Um, there's something about, and a lot of people don't, uh, but there's something about just the young, dumb, but in the cutest, most adorable way, like the attitudes, the, the silly problems that they have. Like for me, that's like my, that's where I love to be in that space of like, I like the little, you know, the little problems that they have and trying to teach them how to like be people and be humans. And, um, yeah, I don't know. The IB classes are, are, are tough and fun in a different way, but I love teaching freshman English. It's, it's a blast for me. Uh, yet another thing we might talk about off air. I think I'm going to be teaching some freshman English classes okay, next, uh, right. next fall. So I'll be coming back to you, my friend. Um, on April 14th, you wrote a, uh, a three word controversial, three word controversial poem on Twitter. I want you to defend it, please. Um, you wrote baseball is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Baseball is perfect, man. Like it's, it's the coolest, most awesome sport, um, that you could possibly have it. It, it teaches you everything in the world you could ever need to be able to learn to be successful in life. And it teaches you that like every single day. And as soon as you think you have it figured out, it just, uh, you know, throws a curveball at you and you're, you're right back to trying to get it all figured out again. Uh, it's fun. It's meant to be fun. It's when, when it's going well and you're doing well and your team is doing well and everybody's happy, like there's just no place better in the world. Uh, it teaches you how to be humble. It teaches you how to be, um, I don't know, not good at losing, but it teaches you how to, to take a loss and to take something bad and find the good in it and then figure out how that's going to translate to fixing things moving forward. Um, it's perfect in that even when things are going amazing, there's only nine guys playing. So there's other guys on the bench who they're going through all sorts of emotions. Some of them are happy. Things are going great. Some of them like are like, yeah, we won, but dude, I didn't play at all. This sucked. Uh, and so it's just like, it's a perfect resemblance of what life is actually like, because even on the best, most happy day, there's someone who's not doing great. And even on the worst, most terrible day, there's someone who went like three for four and had three doubles, but you lost 10 to nothing. And so I think it's just the most perfect sport uh, on the face of the earth. And it just, um, it's made my life great. It's saved me in a number of ways and uh, it is perfect. And yet, if the commissioner called you in for one piece of advice, you would say, stop changing the game uh, so much, man. It's um, my whole thing is this, like he, they, they seem so concerned about speeding the game up. And I think they're forgetting the fundamental question, which is what are we trying to do by achieving this? So if you shave 15 minutes off the game, who have you 
what what goal has been achieved? The answer is nothing other than making the game slightly shorter, in my opinion, because the the kid who's going to watch baseball is going to watch baseball. The kid who's not going to watch baseball is not going to go, oh, it's 15 minutes shorter now. All right, you know, I'll give this baseball thing a chance. Um, I think there's just this over focus on that. And I think if they were shortening the game with other stuff, okay, cool. But they feel so uber focused on shortening the game that they're forgetting some of the most important things like, man, make the game accessible. Stop doing all these blackouts. Like I live in the Northwest. I'm four hours away from the closest team, which is the Seattle Mariners. And I've loved them my whole life. And we're cord cutters. So if I do MLB.tv, I can pay them 120 bucks and they're going to black out every Mariners game because I'm in the network. Why is that? So my kid can't watch the Mariners growing up uh, because Major League Baseball wants me to have cable. Like, I don't understand that. Like, make the game accessible. It's just so if you want to grow the game, you can shorten it. That's whatever. But you got to also make it accessible for everybody and let people actually watch it. And they're, if they're willing to pay for it, that's even like, cool. Like I'll pay 130 bucks a year if you let me watch the Mariners. Just give me the teams, man. I don't get it. It's silly to me. This has been amazing, man. It's an honor that you asked me to do this. And and I wanted to give people a, a, a peek at, at who you are. You're one of my favorite people to follow on, on Twitter. I love what you're doing with High School Coaches Club. Um, I am definitely getting out to Oregon sooner than later, man, so we can share a beverage together. Thank you for this. Um, in closing, uh, where, where do you hope uh, the high school coaches club goes in the next several years? Yeah, it's a weird deal because I've, I've realized that once baseball season starts, a real baseball season starts, I, I don't have the time to, to devote to doing the podcast during that time. So um, I had to really talk myself through it. It reminds me of an episode you have, I think it was this past summer maybe, that you had um, where you came on and just were really clear of like, man, I've done an episode every Sunday since the beginning of time. And I've got to let myself just breathe and say, it's okay sometimes if I don't put one out there. Uh, and so I had to convince myself of that, uh, of like, you know what, it's okay. Uh, um, but I think, you know, long-term, you know, a few years from now, what I'd like to do is get to the point where I can be smart enough about scheduling and time and get enough people on the, you know, recorded and have them episodes kind of ready to go. So I'm not taking so much time between episodes for people. But the real, the real thing I'd, I'd really like to do, and I think is my ultimate goal is to try to broaden the scope of it um, and try to bring in voices that aren't normally out there. I think by this point, obviously I'll bring baseball guys on anytime they want, but how much more can we learn from more of us baseball coaches? Like, my gosh, there's so much content out there by now. Um, I want to like, I want to introduce people to a volleyball coach. Like I, I, it's been really hard to find a volleyball coach to come on the show. I'd like people to hear from a volleyball coach. I'd like people to hear from a cheer coach. I'd like people to hear from the band director. Cause what a, a good band director does is beyond the scope of what I think any coach can understand unless you really watch and then and get to it. So I want to bring in middle school coaches. I think a huge part of being a high school coach is connecting to the youth levels. And if you want to be a good high school program, you need good freshmen walking in the door. So I think you need to connect with them. And um, I think just growing it in that sense of, of the scope of what voices are on, because you and I talked off the air before this of, you know, when you're a teacher, you get stuck in your own room. And I don't know what Mrs. Forsyth, who everyone says is a great English teacher. I don't know what she does in her class. Like, 
I don't know, she might do some amazing things that I could learn from. And so I think in sports, we get that same way where uh, I'm a baseball coach. So I learn from all these baseball coaches and um, there might be something that the football coach in my own building is doing. That's just phenomenal um, that I could steal from or connect with, or we could use the same verbiage because we have a lot of the same kids. So that's my goal is to just keep going and to hopefully broaden the voices and find people who otherwise would never be on a podcast. And it's kind of cool because, you know, you're in that same kind of space, but it's just neat bringing people in who, you know, this is for, for some random guy coming on the high school coaches club podcast. Not that it's a great big podcast, but that's a cool thing for them. Like, you've memorialized this person's coaching career. You've given them a chance to share. And now, you know, when you, when I get, you get a new parents come in, you could say, Hey, you know, if you want to learn about our program, go listen to episode, you know, 17 of the high school coaches club. And <laughs> so, yeah, that, that plus the uh, August vacation in Italy known as Ferragosto gives Ooh. us the opportunity to, to shoehorn right. in our friend Sandro Prosperino's name with That's no additional right. context other than to say, go listen to Sandro on Max's podcast. Anything we forgot, man? Uh, yeah, you need to give me an update on Ben Sheets. We were trying to track him down like a year ago. Whatever happened with that? Ben Sheets, uh, losing picture of record uh, against Yardley Western post 317 on August of 1996. We have connected on DMs, and uh, he disappeared for a while. But maybe today's the day to fire it back up and say, if anyone listening has a connection to Benjamin Sheets, uh, pride of uh, Northeast Louisiana, maybe Southeast Louisiana, uh, played at Gonzales, Louisiana. And uh, we're going to try to get him on the podcast, which is called 1% Better, man. That's uh, We'll check him down. Yeah, I've been waiting on pins and needles. Like, I got to hear this Ben Sheets episode. <laughs> All right, if you're listening, get Ben Sheets in here. Let's go. Let's end there. Max, man, what a pleasure. I, I, I love that people will get to know you a little bit better. And um, what's the email address you want people to pepper you with questions um, that you didn't get asked here today? It's a, it's a real complicated one. So write it down. It's max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. He's Max Price. I'm Joe Ferraro. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Joe. Joe is the absolute best, but you already knew that. Uh, make sure you tune in to his 1% Better podcast and check out damngoodconversations.com. You'll be happy you did. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening to Apple Podcasts. And most importantly, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. In addition, if you have found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, please share this on social media to your followers, via email to your fellow coaches, or through the old-fashioned word of mouth. doesn't matter how you do it. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better, and that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Joe for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking the play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you. <laughs>